welcome to the Urology COVID Lecture Series Podcast brought to you by the UCSF Department of Urology. In today's episode, we have Dr. Tyler Roseman from Virginia Commonwealth University talking about guidelines for the trauma to the lower genital urinary tract. So I'm uh, Tyler Roseman, and uh, today is our, uh, for the COVID lecture series, we're going to talk about trauma to the lower genital urinary tract and try to go over the guidelines um, statements as best we can. Um, I would, before we get started, I'd like to thank um, the entire UCSF team, including Lindsay Hampson and Michelle Lifto, and all the other faculty and participants um, who have helped make this such a great lecture series so far, and I'm sure it's going to continue in the future. So. <clears throat> about me, I'm from uh, NASCAR country and I uh, went to school at the greatest basketball school in, in the country. Um, and I don't have any disclosures. Um, I do, I'm an assistant professor at uh, Virginia Commonwealth University and we have a level one trauma center here. Um, so f- before we get started, I'd like to find out a little bit about who's here today and so what your level of training is. We'll give people about 20 seconds total to get a, get their answers in. It's always interesting to see who is uh, participating in these lectures. Um, <clears throat> I think that we've got a good mix of years of residence, um, some fellows, some attendings, and even some medical students. So that's great. Good, good job, guys. Way to get started early. Um, and then before... This, I want to know how comfortable you feel managing in genitourinary trauma. Some of us are um, practicing at level one trauma centers, some are community hospitals. And so the amount of trauma that we get varies from location to location, and the types of trauma we get varies from location to location. So a lot, of, a lot of you are somewhat comfortable. Um, about half of you are, are fairly, you know, either somewhat or very comfortable. So that's, that's good. Hopefully after the end of this lecture, you'll feel a little bit more comfortable, at least with the knowledge base. I know some of that comfort comes with actual dealing with it. And then finally, what, how familiar are you with the AUA trauma guidelines? Uh, the guidelines came out in 2017 um, and have really been, um, uh, a way forward for us. A lot of our uh, trauma literature um, comes from um, general surgery, and uh, the urology trauma literature is um, fairly sparse in terms of high-quality studies. Most of them are observational studies. So uh, I think we could certainly do a better job in, uh, in getting more. Okay, so kind of about the same in terms of how you feel about managing trauma. So some of this uh, slide deck, or some of these slides come from the AUA core curriculum. Um, I tried to condense a lot of that material down into um, down in, into smaller chunks because there's a lot to get through. And so I'd like to thank the authors of the AUA core curriculum as well as the editor of the PowerPoint. So today we're going to review the epidemiology and etiology of large trauma. And for this, we're going to include the bladder, urethra, and genitalia. I really had hoped to do the lower ureters as well, but we really, I really just got to be too much to put into one segment. So um, hopefully the, the lower ureters uh, you guys can figure out on your own or, or someone else can teach you. Uh, we're going to evaluate the management of lower GU trauma, uh, which really we break down into blunt penetrating and iatrogenic trauma and then re- review the AUA guidelines. So in general, trauma um, uh, is, the top, is a top leading cause of death for uh, people between the ages of one and 44 years old and continue to be one of the top five causes of death in, uh, overall. Um, uh, about 214,000 people die every year um, from trauma, which costs us about $671 billion by the 2013 estimates uh, by the uh, CDC. And for every person that dies, 13 are hospitalized, 129 are treated in, in an ER. Um, and there 
almost 3 million older people um, who are treated in the emergency room for fall injuries every year. A lot of sports-related trauma, um, and then a lot of motor vehicle accidents as well. So about 10% of all trauma is involved in injury to a genitourinary organ. Um, genitourinary organs are less commonly isolated injuries. Kidney is obviously the most common, um, but uh, followed closely by bladder. Most of these injuries on their own are rarely life-threatening, uh, but they can result in long-term morbidity and permanent disability, especially in the lower genitourinary tract. There's a uh, few of them need immediate intervention. Certain types of renal fractures certainly do. Um, testicular fractures can, uh, can need some immediate attention, although this can be delayed. And then there's urinary drainage uh, for pelvic fracture urethral injuries. So trauma, uh, we try to break it down into lots of different categories. Um, we talk about upper versus lower genitourinary trauma, blunt versus penetrating trauma, civilian and military trauma, and then iatrogenic trauma is uh, another category that we often kind of gloss over when we talk about this. And then uh, adults versus pediatric, and then there's another group called the, the geriatric trauma. And so we're gonna talk about some of these special um, situations at the end. I am not gonna discuss uh, pediatric trauma um, as we're not necessarily in the guidelines and I'm not a pediatric urologist, um, despite the hospital thinking I am sometimes. So uh, <clears throat> when the AUA guidelines committee looked at the literature, uh, they uh, gave recommendations based on uh, the evidence grades and the evidence grades were based A through C, which A is well-constructed randomized controlled trials with or exceptional observational studies all the way to C, which are inconsistent observational studies with small sample sizes. And those are um, the majority of uh, what the guidelines are made up of. Um, they um, linked different nomenclatures to the evidence, including standards, recommendations, options, and then they also have things like expert opinion. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to start off with the scenario here. This is Zach. Zach's a 28-year-old male with no significant past medical history, uh, motorcycle crash, and <clears throat> uh, suffered a motorcycle crash. He was not able to void, and he had a positive fast exam. There's no blood at his knee this, but this is his pelvic x-ray. So after you ensure that he is, is stable, what is the next step from the GU standpoint? Are you going to take him and explore him? Are you going to perform a cystoscopy, send him to IR? What's your plan? Okay, what's happening? All right, can everybody see my screen now? Since I lost everybody for a second. Awesome. All right, so how's the poll? So fluoroscopic cystogram, that's right. Um, that's really the, the next best step in this patient. He has a pelvic fracture. Um, he has bloody urine, and that indicates that he likely has bladder 
a rupture. And um, so a fluoroscopic cystogram or a CT cystogram would be completely reasonable. So the guideline statements, they uh, the evidence grade B, um, the clinicians must perform retrograde cystography with either plain film or CT in stable patients with gross hematuria and pelvic fractures. And 14B, clinicians should perform retrograde cystography in stable patients with gross hematuria and a mechanism concerning for a bladder injury or in those with pelvic ring fractures and clinical indicators of a bladder rupture. Um, so these are, uh, these are helpful in guiding us uh, to who we should get cystograms on. Um, so Zach becomes unstable. He's taken emergently to the operating room. Uh, unfortunately, urology was not consulted uh, until the pelvic packing was being performed because they were unable to place a catheter. So we placed an open suprapubic tube and he was packed and taken to the SICU with a planned take back in the next day or two. While he's uh, stabilizing, we did get a cystogram. Here you can see he's uh, three different images of the same cystogram and there's extravasation of contrast um, kind of in the anterior uh, <clears throat> space. And you can see a wisp of contrast coming from right near where the um, uh, bulb of the catheter is. Um, this represents likely a, uh, a <coughs> um, bladder neck injury. So what about bladder trauma in general? About 10% of all GU trauma uh, is invo involves the bladder, which is second to only to the kidney. And it can be classified as intraperitoneal, extraperitoneal, or combined. Um, as we said, gross hematuria is the most common sign. And if you have a combination of pelvic fracture and hematuria, um, uh, that will be present in about 16 to 27% of uh, bladder injuries. In penetrating trauma, you may not see gross hematuria. Um, uh, blunt injuries make up the majority of uh, bladder injuries and um, often are associated with uh, pelvic fractures. These are often from things like motor vehicle collisions, falls, industrial accidents. Penetrating injuries, are rare uh, because the uh, bladder is protected by the bony pelvis and gunshot wound is really the most common um, uh, injury. Uh, now we should talk a little bit about iatrogenic injuries. Uh, they're generally associated with pelvic surgery, things like hysterectomy, C-sections, colorectal surgeries, that kind of stuff. And they can be full thickness or partial thickness. And uh, if they're recognized at the time, they're relatively easy to fix. The AAST or American Association, uh, um, <clears throat> has a grading scale um, but where they grade uh, GU injuries from one to five. And um, so they have one for bladder injuries as well, which um, really we don't utilize all that often. Um, uh, grades one and two um, are really pretty uh, minor injuries and oftentimes are treated with just um, catheter placement. Three, four, and five uh, can uh, can some more often require a um, uh, surgical intervention. So the bladder sits uh, in an extraperitoneal position in the pelvis and is bounded by the space of retius and then the uh, rectum or the uterus or vagina. Um, its vascular supply comes with superior and inferior vesicle arteries and it has various innervation patterns. In the evaluation of the trauma patient, history is oftentimes not the best, uh, but it is important to find at least the mechanism of injury um, to see whether it's blunt or penetrating. Um, <clears throat> uh, and then again, we should perform a retrograde cystogram uh, with plain film or CT cystography. It's very important that it's a pressure uh, cystogram with three to 400 cc's of contrast for adequate distension. Um, uh, um, Passive filling from uh, just a bladder filling up with uh, with contrasts from the IV contrast is not acceptable. Extraperitoneal bladder injuries, as you can see here, are uh, contained um, inside the extraperitoneal space, and oftentimes are anterior lateral injuries. Um, they can be managed conservatively for the most part. There are some exceptions with such as concurrent vaginal rectal injuries, bladder neck injuries inadequate drainage or ongoing hematuria, or if there's uh, foreign bodies within the bladder. Um, you might want to consider putting them on antimuscarinics or antibiotics. Intraperitoneal injuries uh, seen here on this fluorocystogram and here on this CT cystogram, you can see the contrast extravasating into the intraperitoneal space surrounding the loops of bowel. Um, so this is our patient, his CT cystogram. Again, this looks like an extra 
peritoneal injury. You don't see anything going into the intraperitoneal space up here or back here, but you do see it extravasating from an area that I would say is the bladder neck. So <clears throat> for, uh, for this, surgeons must perform surgical repair of intraperitoneal bladder rupture in the setting of blunt or penetrating external trauma. So all intraperitoneal injury should be fixed. There are some that, um, that in certain circumstances, such as in unstable patients that are small, can occasionally be observed and there are case reports of uh, in some series of observation of small intraperitoneal injuries, but this should not be the standard. Um, clinicians should perform catheter drainage as treatment for patients with uncomplicated bladder and extraperitoneal bladder injuries. And you know, there's, this is again, a recommendation evidence grade C. And there are some recent um, papers uh, showing that maybe we uh, should be repairing more of our extraperitoneal bladder injuries, but the key term here is uncomplicated. Um, and then surgeons should perform repair with complicated extraperitoneal bladder injuries. So those are larger injuries um, and injuries that are associated with um, vaginal lacerations, rectal uh, tears, uh, as well as bladder neck injuries. And uh, they also recommend with, uh, with grade B evidence that urethral catheter alone without a suprapubic cystostomy uh, is adequate for uh, after repair of the bladder injury. So we took him back to the OR. We did an X-lap and a washout. We found a bladder neck injury as well as a, a, a separate extraperitoneal bladder injury. Repaired both of these and uh, left everything since he already had a suprapubic tube to gravity drainage. And about uh, 21 days later, here's his cystogram. So what are some tips for this type of operative exploration? One, you want to prep and drape the patient with the urethra accessible. So if the trauma team is taking him to the OR without uh, you guys being there, then they're probably going to make sure that the penis or vagina are completely hidden from view. Um, so, uh, you know, it's important because cystoscopy can be quite helpful to identify in, uh, injuries in the urethra, as well as uh, injuries in the bladder and foreign bodies within the bladder. Um, if possible, it's best if, they, if you can get them to put them on a table that'll allow for fluoroscopy. Most of the standard tables that they utilize um, have a nice big post right uh, in the middle, right where you would be doing fluoroscopy because retrograde polygrams might be necessary. Uh, you can consider a retrograde urethrogram on patients with anterior pelvic ring injuries with like a pubic diastasis or pubic rami fractures. Um, and in unstable patients, you really don't want to open up the space of retzius um, as this can cause massive bleeding um, from uh, pelvic uh, venous uh, injuries. So on the stable patient, you'd probably start with something like a lower midline uh, incision. Um, however, if it's in a trauma situation, oftentimes they're gonna have their belly all the way open. You just have to probably extend it down towards the uh, pubic bone. And you wanna open intraperitoneal injuries wide enough to explore for extraperitoneal injuries, close the multiple layers, put tissue flaps, leave a drain, all the normal stuff that we do for, um, uh, for uh, repairing the, uh, the urinary tract in general. You wanna use a large bore catheter and then a follow-up cystogram. So what happens after, the, uh, <clears throat> after bladder trauma? So the most common complication is uh, persistent urinary extravasation. And that oftentimes is, um, uh, requires taking back to the operating room. Um, if they're not stable or if it's a, or, or if they, if they're doing okay with just bladder drainage, then they, you can try to weigh them out. Um, <clears throat> if they do continue to extravasate urine, that can cause visualization to the bowel, the vagina, the skin, all kinds of places that are not great. And then it, you, they can also suffer from uh, pelvic nerve injuries. Um, <clears throat> so I think we've covered bladder trauma pretty well here, and we're gonna move on to urethral trauma. So this is our uh, next uh, victim, if you will. This is Slater. Um, he's a 20-year-old male. He's brought by ambulance to the emergency department after he got shot in the bilateral thighs. He has no intra-abdominal or vascular injuries. He's stable, but he's got ecchymosis and swelling of scrotum and perineum. He's unable to void, uh, and he has blood at the meatus. So in this instance, we can just look at the guidelines and say, what do we need to do? Uh, so Clinicians should perform retrograde urethrography in patients with blood at the urethral meatus after pelvic trauma. 
and clinicians must perform evaluation for concomitant urethral injury in patients with a penile fracture or penetrating trauma who present with blood at the urethral meatus, gross hematuria, or inability to void. So he had blood at the meatus and inability to void. He's kind of got, uh, got the trifecta. So in your institution, in the trauma setting, who, how are the majority of retrograde urethrograms performed? I know it varies from place to place, and especially in trauma, the quality of a retrograde urethrogram can be um, dubious at best. Some of that may be due to the patient positioning, as it might be difficult to put them in an oblique position. And some of it may be due to um, just lack of knowledge. Yeah, single shot flat plate by urology, that's, that's what happens a lot. Um, it's very rare that we can get radiology to do a fluoroscopic study and very and and sometimes they even ask us to come do it do it for them that's really cool thank you um so he got a retrograde urethrogram and as you can see here um he's in a reasonable position he's probably about more closer to 30 degrees than 45 degrees and you can see uh contrast filling out the um, pendulous urethra going into the bulbar urethra where it starts to extravasate um, you can see that the bladder is already full of contrast from his um, uh, previous CT scan. And then that <clears throat> yeah, you have some venous backflow um, at, uh, going on here. You can't really see whether there's any um, contrast going into the uh, past the sphincter. The sphincter looks nice and closed here. And um, it looks like with a lot of pressure, it just goes into the venous system. So what's the best management for this stable patient um, with a gunshot wound to the urethra. So immediate suprapubic tube placement. Okay, that's certainly an option. Primary urethral realignment, definitely an option. Observation, you guys avoided, which is good. And then primary urethroplasty, for some reason, you guys didn't pick that, despite <coughs> the AUA guidelines saying that primary urethroplasty probably is the right thing. First, let's talk about retrograde urethrography. Um, retrograde urethrography is the best initial study for urethral trauma. Um, you really want them in a 45 degree oblique position with the penis on stretch. Here you can see from this paper um, uh, uh, from Radiographics in 2004, the difference between kind of this flat plate, plate urethrogram um, with the patient in the supine position versus what you can actually see in, uh, in a, uh, a oblique position. Uh, you can see kind of the entire length of the posterior urethra, whereas here everything looks like it's coiled on itself. Um, you want the penis on stretch, and there's different ways to do that. Um, I like to use uh, either a Raytec or a 4x4 uh, as kind of a little um, uh, a tourniquet around the head of the penis to pull it out so I can keep my hands out of the, out, out of the, the um, x-ray. But other people will use different devices to help with this. Um, if you use a... Uh, a, a catheter, you usually use the 12 French with a few cc's in the balloon right at the, at the meatus, and you don't want to use any lube, otherwise the balloon will slip right back out. Um, we typically inject 20 to 30 milliliters of non-diluted contrast um, just to get a better picture. So here we, sit, here we have it. Surgeons should perform prompt surgical repair in patients with uncomplicated penetrating trauma of the anterior urethra. So this includes um, stab wounds and uh, gunshot wounds. Um, uh, as long as they are low caliber uh, uh, or low velocity uh, gunshot wounds, um, which uh, encompasses most of the handguns that we see. So we took him to the operating room. And as you can see, um, we performed uh, basically a, a similar uh, exposure as a urethroplasty. We dissected the urethra uh, out and we can see he's got damage to his corporal bodies here and he's got damage to his urethra here. The posterior, uh, the uh, ventral plate appears to be relatively intact. Um, so <clears throat> we did some nice debridement of uh, 
of the edges of this uh, urethra and then uh, repaired it in a non-transecting fashion. At the same time, um, we repaired the corporal bodies. The left corporal body we had to use a um, uh, we had to use a uh, off-the-shelf graft to repair because we just couldn't get it together. It was, there was too much tissue loss. And uh, two weeks later, here's his post-op VCUG. Um, he had a, a kind of a nervous bladder, but he was able to void in, uh, in the bathroom afterwards. So urethral trauma is uncommon. It's only 4% of all traumas, and blunt force trauma makes up uh, the majority of this. Um, <clears throat> we kind of divide the trauma up to, between whether it's anterior or posterior urethra, or blunt or penetrating trauma, and then uh, we also include iatrogenic trauma, which is usually endoscopic. The urethra is uh, broken up into five segments, um, according to some, six according to others, um, those who include the um, bladder neck as part of the urethra. So, but the posterior urethra and the anterior urethra are divided by the genitourinary diaphragm, with the bladder neck, prostatic urethra, and membranous urethra being the posterior, and then bulbar penile and the fossa navicularis being the anterior. Uh, the urethral blood supply comes main, mainly from the internal pudendal um, down to the common uh, penile. And the urethra really has um, two blood supplies, the bulbar arteries um, and then uh, the um, uh, dorsal penile artery that uh, arborize in the glands penis, which is very important for uh, urethral reconstruction later on. Um, <clears throat> blunt trauma encompasses about 85% of um, Urethral injuries in the bulbar urethra is the most often affected. Posterior urethra really is associated with pelvic fracture, and about three to six percent of both men and women with pelvic fracture will have a, a pelvic fracture urethral injury. Um, it can be associated with malgain uh, or vertical shear forces, uh, as well as pubic symphysis, diastasis, and anterior pubic rami fractures. It can be also, penetrating injuries can, uh, are oftentimes gunshot wounds and, uh, or stab wounds in the anterior urethra, but there can also be things like bites. Um, the AAST has a urethral trauma scale as well. And again, we don't really uh, utilize this uh, all that much, although if you look at uh, the general surgery trauma literature, they use it uh, fairly frequently. But the... Um, <clears throat> Uh, the grade really does uh, kind of correspond with, um, with management. Um, so about 35% are grades one through three and about 65% are grades four and five. And these include uh, complete disruptions. Complete disruptions in general um, are, are typically managed uh, conservatively uh, initially with, um, uh, with uh, delayed repairs uh, when we're talking about pelvic fracture urethral injuries. Um, the diagnostic triad of blood of the meatus, suprapubic fullness, and urinary retention is what we look for. You may see um, <coughs> uh, perineal hematoma um, and then a blood that's confined by, uh, uh, by uh, Buck's fascia. Um, retrograde urethrogram is the best initial test in men. However, women, it's uh, fairly impossible to do a really good retrograde urethrogram. So uh, flexible cystoscopy or a rigid cystoscopy with a female cystoscope um, uh, is the most important. I'm not going to belabor the pelvic fracture urethral injuries because Dr. Hampson did a very great uh, lecture, and this is the link to the lecture um, uh, just a few short weeks ago. So I encourage you to look at that uh, to, for a really in-depth um, picture of pelvic fracture urethral injuries. So when we work up the urethral trauma, retrograde urethrogram is important uh, as we've uh, discussed, and then cystoscopy. Uh, pelvic x-ray uh, may help give you some idea whether there's a pubic uh, symphysis diastasis or an inferior pubic rami fracture. Um, <coughs> cystogram, uh, to evaluate for concomitant bladder injuries, and then a rectal exam if there's penetrating injury to the posterior urethra. Uh, management in the anterior urethra, um, if it's a blunt injury, typically it's urinary diversion with a Foley or SP tube. Penetrating injury, immediate operative intervention. We typically like to do this like a urethroplasty with absorbable sutures, primary spatulated repair, um, especially in the, in the bulbar uh, urethra. Uh, posterior injuries are um, uh, 
more often managed initially with just urinary diversion, which can be a super pubic tube. You can do endoscopic realignment um, uh, within the first three to 10 days after, um, after uh, the injury, but you don't really want to put a prolonged effort into it. So probably less than 20, 25 minutes. Otherwise, uh, you're really going to put a lot of fluid into their, um, into their pelvic space. Immediate repair is not indicated in posterior urethral injuries unless it involves the bladder and neck. Um, so what do the guidelines say? Clinicians should establish prompt urinary drainage in patients with pelvic fracture associated urethral injuries. Surgeons may place suprapubic tubes in patients undergoing open reduction and internal fixation for pelvic fracture. This is an expert opinion. However, you will often see the, uh, the trauma sur or the uh, orthopedic surgeons uh, balk at us putting a suprapubic tube if they're, if they're performing an ORIF, saying that they think that it will get infected. This is not true. Uh, we don't have any evidence that there's any increase in infection from a suprapubic tube to an ORIF, um, uh, despite uh, what they say. Um, and then clinicians may perform primary realignment in hemodynamically stable patients with pelvic fracture associated urethral injury, but should not perform prolonged attempts at endoscopic realignment. Um, and clinicians should establish prompt urinary drainage in patients with straddle injury to the anterior urethra. Straddle injuries uh, often <coughs> uh, often are um, from um, either falls or direct trauma to the perineum um, that um, that compresses the bulbar urethra up against the, uh, uh, the pubic bone. So what about women? Women also suffer urethral injuries. And here's a case of a nine-year-old female who fell off the playground equipment while climbing. And really, this is an avulsion. Um, her urethra, uh, you can see down here and here with the catheter in place, is really avulsed off of her um, anterior vaginal uh, wall along with the uh, uh, along with the rest of the anterior vaginal wall. We, we performed a cystoscopy to evaluate for any uh, urethral injury and there was no internal tears. So we reattached it to the pubic symphysis and repaired the vaginal lacerations primarily. Um, <clears throat> she uh, did very well afterwards and did not have any incontinence. So in women, cystoscopy is the best tool for diagnosis of urethral injuries. And then you should repair it at the time of presentation unless they're unstable to decrease future incontinence or fistula. Um, uh, distal injuries you can sometimes observe. So what kind of long-term complications do we have? Things like stricture stenosis, diverticuli, infected urinomas, fistulas, erectile dysfunction, which can be arteriogenic or neurogenic, and can recover in, after one to two years. Uh, and then incontinence, especially if there's the uh, bladder neck or pelvic nerve injury. Incontinence is not common um, uh, from a sphincteric injury because the bladder neck is typically intact. So the AUA uh, trauma uh, guidelines do recommend monitoring patients for complications for at least one year after urethral injury. So next we have genital trauma. And genital tra trauma can be, again, blunt or uh, <coughs> uh, penetrating and blunt trauma are things like contusions, lacerations, avulsions, or burns are the most common uh, <clears throat> and uh, account for about 28 to 16% of patients with GU trauma uh, will have other injuries to the genitalia. Um, they're not usually life-threatening, but they can have long-term complications such as impaired fertility, sexual dysfunction, uh, endocrine changes, and psychological damage. Here we have Samuel. Samuel's a 25-year-old male in uh, who was in a motorcycle accident. He ran into the back of a car after he flew over the handlebars and felt his groin hit on the gas tank. Uh, he was cleared by trauma except for an enlarged right hemiscrotum, which complained of excruciating pain and it had been swelling. So here we have um, a kind of scrotal and testicular trauma, uh, which is fairly rare because the scrotum is typically mobile, protected by the tunica albuginea and, uh, and the testicles will uh, retract uh, uh, due to the cremasteric muscles. Um, typically, um, <clears throat> so about half to 85% are, uh, are blunt injuries, and usually due to sports. Um, they can also be involved with um, uh, scrotal, uh, scrotal injuries as well. And then you'll see them have swelling, ecchymosis, hematoma, and potentially skin avulsions. Uh, 
penile or uh, scrotal Doppler ultrasound um, can be helpful in evaluating the echo texture and contour as well as the uh, blood flow. And it really should be an adjunct to your examination. So our guy, uh, Samuel, he had a large hematoma in the right hemiscrotum. His scrotal skin was tight, edematous. You couldn't really palpate the right testicle. So we got an ultrasound. And here we have the left over here, which has a nice normal appearing border and some and normal echo texture. And here we have the right. You can't really tell if the border is uh, completely, uh, completely all the way around. And certainly there's a large hematoma that's inside the testicle as well. <coughs> the testicle um, has uh, a significant blood supply. Um, that is separate from most of the um, other uh, uh, perineum, uh, typically coming from the testicular artery. It also has secondary blood supplies from the vasal artery, as well as the um, uh, cream hysterics. So in, the in this instance, surgeons should perform scrotal expiration and debridement with tunical closure when possible, or orchiectomy in patients with suspected testicular rupture. So we think our guy probably has a testicular rupture, so I think we're planning on, a, uh, on an uh, expiration. And then for <clears throat> um, the scrotum, surgeons should perform expiration and limited debridement of non-viable tissues in patients with extensive genital skin loss or injury from infection, shearing injuries, or burns. So how do we um, manage testicular trauma? When it's a blunt trauma, um, and there's uh, no evidence of testicular rupture. Observation is completely reasonable with rest, ice, compression, NSAIDs. Um, surgical management for fractures or for um, uh, more complex hematomas uh, is completely reasonable. Um, for penetrating trauma, um, certainly if it penetrates the, the um, uh, dartos of the scrotum, then we would say exploration would be necessary. So we explored him, opened everything up, and this is what we see. He's got uh, tunica vaginalis just uh, kind of controlling everything and holding it in. And then as we open that up, we can see there's been some loss of tunica uh, albuginea and some non-viable um, non testicular tissue. Um, so debridement and then primary closure is completely, completely reasonable. Um, however, sometimes there, has been, there can be uh, larger um, segments of loss of tunica albuginea. And for patients who have that, um, you may not, if they have a viable uh, testicular tissue, you may not want to just perform an orchiectomy. Uh, so a tunica uh, a group um, published this in the journal of Pediatric Urology, and it was a, a series of four pediatric patients with large tunical defects. Um, <clears throat> and they performed a tunica vaginalis pedicle flap for repair of ruptured testis. Um, and all four patients uh, uh, did well with uh, relatively normal size of their testicles, which otherwise you would have to debride a large segment of, uh, of these tubules here or uh, perform an orchiectomy. So uh, keep that in your armamentarium. So what about scrotal trauma? Um, <clears throat> scrotal trauma, again, can be blunt, can be penetrating. Um, typically, it's managed with expiration washout and limited debridement uh, with primary closure. The scrotum has a great blood supply, so primary closure typically works pretty well. Um, but for burns, you may have to um, limit your debridement because it can, um, uh, it can be an, an insidious onset at, uh, later on. So, um, and you may want to consider urinary diversion if the burn is full thickness or involves the urethra. So, <clears throat> Moving on to the penis, um, penile injuries are uncommon due to the flaccid mobile nature of the penis, and the um, management is typically operative to improve sexual function and cosmetic outcomes. Um, categories can include blunt and penetrating, but we also include things like amputation of the penis, um, so the uh, John Bobbitt injury, and then the strangulation of the penis, so things like hair tourniquet or uh, penile constriction devices. Um, <clears throat> Blunt injuries to the penis often result in penile fracture, uh, which is a corporal cavernosal tear. And uh, it's the most common type of blunt injury to the penis. It's usually secondary to erect penis hitting the pelvic bone or perineum during intercourse. 
uh, you should look for several things, uh, POP, uh, rapid detumescence and an eggplant deformity or hematoma, and then uh, ecchymosis of the shaft and scrotum. You can consider an ultrasound if they have severe pain uh, or equivocal exam to evaluate the integrity of the corpora cavernosa, and you could also consider an MRI. However, it's expensive and uh, not every uh, uh, location has the capability of doing it. These are typically managed surgically, which includes exposing the injured corpora and a primary repair. So what do the guidelines say? You should suspect penile fracture when a patient presents with penile ecchymosis, swelling, cracking, or snapping sound during intercourse or manipulation and immediate detumescence. You should perform surgical exploration and repair in patients with acute signs and symptoms of penile fracture. And you should perform ultrasound or may perform ultrasound in patients with equivocal signs and symptoms of a fracture. And then you should evaluate them for concomitant urethral injury um, who, in patients who have blood at the meatus <clears throat> or gross hematuria or inability to avoid. And this can be with cystoscopy or retrograde urethrogram. So here's a, an example of a, a penile ultrasound. And this is a patient we actually treated on Christmas Day um, who came in. Um, <clears throat> and you can see here that the uh, tunica albuginea is uh, nice and even up until this point, and you can see um, an injury right there. Here it is in a, a kind of a longer longitudinal format. And then uh, here you are in, in, um, in a more uh, transverse images. And so it's really uh, highly dependent on your operator to see if, the, if they can find these things. And it's helpful if you are at the bedside at the time that they are performing the ultrasound. Um, <clears throat> patients will often come with a, uh, uh, a, frac a fracture here, and it's usually lateral and ventrally and towards the base of the penis, though I've seen them kind of everywhere. Um, and then if it does involve the urethra, then you should repair the urethra at the same time. Um, most of these injuries can be dealt with um, from a uh, ventral midline incision. However, if you're not sure where the fracture is, there's no uh, shame in degloving the penis entirely and, and finding, uh, finding the area of injury. So penile injuries uh, can also be penetrating, oftentimes gunshot wounds um, or stab wounds. Again, uh, it often involves surrounding structures like the thigh scrotum and urethra and you should consider uh, the urethra if there's blood at the meatus or difficulty voiding. Again, you're going to explore this, debride it, wash it out. Oftentimes you can't tell just from the uh, external exam whether the uh, wound has penetrated into the uh, tunica albuginea or not, and so you should uh, explore it to make sure. Um, <clears throat> and then um, amputation, we'll just say a few words about that. It's usually self-inflicted um, uh, with with uh, treating underlying mental health issues, and you can usually reattach these within 24 hours. So this is Dennis. Dennis is a 35-year-old man who comes in 26 hours after placing a metal penile constriction band around the base of his penis and scrotum. He's got having worsening pain and swelling, and it's made it impossible for him to remove it. He's tried butter, lotion, oils, but nothing has helped. He has, he has been able to avoid, fortunately. And here he is. This is his... Um, brand new uh, penile constriction device that he placed uh, behind the uh, uh, scrotum and, and penis uh, and is not able to, to get it off. Penile strangulation is uncommon, mostly case reports or case series and often by rubber or plastic or metal objects. The removal varies based on the type of object and uh, sequelae are things that you would expect, fistula, stricture, penile skin loss, amputation, and even a reported death. Um, for metal constriction bands, it's very important to <coughs> um, cut them at both ends, and finding the right tool is, can be uh, fairly difficult, but a uh, metal cutting burr saw is, is uh, typically uh, pretty helpful. So let's put it all together. This is Kelly. She's sent from an outside hospital. Um, a 19-year-old female uh, experienced pelvic trauma by jumping in the river. Otherwise healthy, fairly stable and uh, has a 1.6 centimeter diameter wooden branch hanging six centimeters out of the vagina. No perineal or labial bruising, normal rectal exam. This is her fast exam. And as you can see, here's her bladder with um, uh, what looks like a foreign body sticking up into the bladder. So what else would you do to evaluate her injuries? And if you can, choose all that apply.
All right, so cystoscopy, yeah, CT urogram seems reasonable, cystogram seems reasonable, retrograde urethrogram, gonna be fairly difficult. Um, you know, this is a female, uh, retrograde urethrograms are difficult in their own right, but she also has a branch sticking out of her vagina and probably is fairly uncomfortable. And then nothing, I have all the information I need. I guess you guys are uh, cavalier and just know what, what all you need to do. So we got a CT cystogram, and this is her pre-contrast imaging. As you can see, there's a nice big foreign body sticking, uh, <clears throat> going through the vagina and sticking into the bladder. With contrast, you can see it's outlining the, the stick. So now what do we want to do? How would you approach this impalement? Would you just remove the stick and put a catheter in and send her home? Or would you try to fix it? And if so, how? So I think almost all of these uh, could, could be correct, except for the conservative management with the Foley catheter. I don't think you're really going to get anywhere with that. Um, certainly, uh, you, you want to repair it. You can do it open um, or transvaginal. I think there might be some people that could do it robotically or laparoscopically. I certainly am not one of those people. But, um, you know, we chose on her a transvaginal approach. Um, so we set her up. First, we performed a cystoscopy because we wanted to check out her ureter orifices and we found a little friend sitting in her bladder. Uh, I guess my video is not gonna play, that's all right. Um, we removed the stick after we saw it sticking into the bladder uh, right around uh, just uh, uh, superior to the trigone and maybe about one to two centimeters from the ureter orifices. Um, <clears throat> We removed the, the foreign body. We did a transvaginal repair in about three layers after copious irrigation and uh, broad spectrum IV antibiotic coverage. We left the catheter in for about 14 days. Um, uh, and she only stayed in the hospital two nights. Uh, performed a cystogram, which was completely normal. So I just wanna say a couple of words uh, about special populations. So geriatric trauma, um, uh, it, there's a study uh, out of the uh, trauma or out of the Journal of American College of Surgery uh, that showed that <coughs> uh, geriatric trauma can be different from the rest of the population. And uh, significantly so that um, really the, the mechanism of injury is, is quite different for mostly motor vehicle uh, accidents and falls and less firearms cuts and uh, motorcycle injuries. Um, the bladder is injured more often in uh, patients over 65 than under 65, and the penis is injured less often in patients over 65 than less than 65, as well as the testicles and scrotum. Um, and then uh, you can see here that there is a significant increase in blunt trauma compared to penetrating trauma. And then military trauma uh, has, uh, is also another uh, area of study. Um, that has been growing uh, in literature in recent years. So combat GU trauma has really been a small proportion of 20th century uh, conflicts. About half uh, percent of all injuries in World War II were combat related, uh, were GU trauma related. About 8% uh, in Vietnam. Um, uh, a group um, looked at the Department of Defense Trauma Registry at, for Operation Enduring Freedom and Operation Iraqi Freedom, found there was about a 5% uh, rate of GU trauma um, uh, for all the, all the people in the registry. 890 patients um, with uh, GU trauma injuries, um, and, a, and, and really over half of those um, suffered lower GU tract trauma, which is different from um, what you would expect uh, in the civilian population. And only about 4% of these are isolated GU injuries. Um, Scrotal and testicular and penile injuries were the most common. Um, <clears throat> and you can see here um, that the penile and, and testicular injuries really did have a pretty significant, um, uh, had less uh, grade five injuries uh, in the penile, but really a, a lot of grade five injuries in the testicular injuries. And 
<clears throat> and you can see that the number of IED injuries increased uh, significantly uh, after uh, 2010. So, um, and a lot of these had uh, significant um, associated injuries as well. So this is really a, a separate population defined by a separate type of injury, the IED, um, uh, as opposed to um, in the past, what was more uh, gunshot wounds. So I think we have uh, some time for questions and uh, I'll take anything that we have. And don't forget to fill out your survey after the lecture. All right, uh, thank you, Dr. Roseman, for that great talk. Uh, so I was fielding some of these questions. Uh, the first question I uh, was asking, uh, do you ever consider attempting uh, placement of a catheter in the setting of uh, uh, like a motor vehicle accident when a rug or any sort of diagnostic imaging isn't readily available? Have you sure. ever attempted um, it all? Yeah, I think a single gentle um, attempt at placement of a catheter is completely reasonable. Um, there has been the thought that you will turn a, a partial urethral injury into a, a complete urethral injury, but I don't really think that that has um, really borne out in, in any of the literature. So I think a, sin, a single attempt to place a catheter um, when you don't have the ability to do a retrograde urethrogram or, um, or scope in anything is, is completely fine. I don't think you're going to harm anything, and you'll know pretty quickly if you get um, urine back or not. Okay, then another question is, um, when are you suspicious of uh, bladder neck injuries? Um, that's a good question. I, I think you really have to be suspicious for the more severe uh, pelvic traumas. And then really you're just, you're basing it off of, uh, or sorry, the more severe um, uh, like pelvic ring injuries. And, and really you, you've got to base it on, um, on the cystogram. And a lot of us will look at a cystogram and just say whether it's intraperitoneal or extraperitoneal or, or nothing. And you really have to look at the subtle findings. Um, so where the contrast is extravasating from. So if you see a lot of contrast um, <clears throat> kind of right at the, at the level of the bladder neck, then that's gonna be more consistent with a bladder neck injury. Um, so you really, you wanna look at where the contrast extravasates from and, and maybe where it extravasates to. If you have urethral injury um, and that requires uh, cystoscopic placement of a Foley catheter, how long do you generally leave uh, a catheter in place for? Um, so if you're talking about like an endoscopic injury, um, then I would leave it three to five days. If you're talking about like a, a, a actual tear in the urethra, um, then uh, then I would probably leave it at least two weeks and, and maybe a little bit longer. I, if for urethral injuries, I'm not going to leave a large bore catheter. Really, 16 French or 18 French would be fine. I would not go any larger than an 18 French because then you uh, increase your risk of um, neatal stenosis. Uh, in the setting of uh, a gunshot wound, uh, do, you have, do you have any consideration for the velocity or the energy that's delivered in terms of how you plan or approach your repair? Yeah, so um, if, you, if you look at recommendations that for high velocity injuries, they recommend a delayed repair. Now, how do we know what the velocity of the bullet was when it hit the, hit the victim? We don't really. Um, we can kind of go off of what they tell us. Most of the handguns that we see are gonna be of the lower velocity uh, variety. We're really, high velocity injuries are typically more things like hunting rifles um, or, or uh, assault rifles. And, and that's not really gonna be the majority of the gunshot wounds that, that we see typically. Um, and as far as uh, penile fractures, um, do you typically advocate uh, repairing them immediately or could you repair them the next day? That's a good question. I think um, <clears throat> the literature is mixed on this. And, um, you know, if uh, there's no harm in waiting to the next day in almost any circumstance. Uh, most of the literature has looked at um, uh, 
treating it in under eight hours versus over 24 hours. So there's a 16 hour window. We don't know what happens between eight hours and 24 hours. And it may be better uh, in certain circumstances for your ideal repair to wait for the person who's most qualified to repair it uh, with the team that's best able to do it. Now, you don't wanna have somebody sitting in a hospital day after day after day, especially if they're in significant pain or if they can't urinate. Um, certainly, if they have a urethral injury, that's a reason that you might want to repair it uh, in the more immediate setting. Um, in the case of a suspected urethral injury in someone who's had a motor vehicle um, accident or collision, uh, when would you, or how do you go about deciding um, to what kind of um, uh, catheter you want to place, whether it be a urethral catheter versus suprapubic catheter, or any other options. So if they've got a if they've got a uh, uh, let's just say they have a, a, a complete urethral injury, so uh, like a pelvic fracture, urethral distraction defect, um, <clears throat> certainly. Uh, getting drainage sooner rather than later is the key because their bladder is probably already full and it's getting fuller because they're getting lots of fluids in contrast. So you don't, may not be able to take them for a cystoscopic realignment right away. So suprapubic tube is what I would typically um, um, aim towards. Um, and then potentially a, a urethral realignment um, uh, if you if uh, they're being taken to the operating room for something else, which oftentimes they are. Um, so you can coordinate that. But I, personally, I, um, I kind of aim for the suprapubic tube just to get uh, relief, but you know, uh, there's a lot of debate about that. Do you have any uh, pearls as to um, what to do when, uh, when there's a urethral injury and there's a lot of tissue loss during or after debridement? So um, typically, if you have a significant amount of tissue loss, um, and you're talking about in the immediate setting, um, if, you have a, if you have an anterior urethral injury and there's significant tissue loss, then you are not going to be able to get the urethra back together um, very easily, unless it's in the bulbar urethra where you can mobilize a little bit better. So at that point, you probably are thinking about um, a kind of urinary diversion debridement, packing, and then, um, and then when you ultimately repair them, they're going to likely need um, uh, grafts. Okay. Uh, concerning uh, penetrating urethral trauma, is it, would it be more beneficial for a patient to have a suprapubic tube placed and wait one to three days for urethroplasty uh, for a general urologist on call um, if there's a reconstructive specialist in the practice? I think that's completely reasonable. Yeah, um, I you know I think a lot of the stuff that we deal with in trauma, um, you may not have uh, the ability to to um, wait, but for certain things like uh, like a urethral injury, waiting a day or two days is probably not going to cause any harm, especially if they're going to be taken care of who by someone who has potentially more experience. Okay. Um, and what is your typical time frame for uh, if you were to uh, place a um, uh, place a suprapubic catheter in terms of um, then going on to do a uh, urethroplasty for a pelvic fracture? Um, so probably about uh, I would wait at least three months. Um, a lot of it depends on um, their other injuries and how they're healing, and then also their mobility. So if you have somebody who still like can't um, really sit down effectively or, or, or bend effectively at three months, then performing a urethroplasty is going to be really difficult. So you have to wait for a lot of their other injuries to heal. But I think most people would agree uh, three months is pretty reasonable. There are some groups that have advocating early um, uh, urethroplasty, like at six weeks or so. But um, I think the majority of people would say three months. Okay. Well, that seems to be all of the questions so far. Awesome. Well, um, if there are any more questions, I'll be happy to take care of them uh, and, and put some answers online. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you soon. 
Learn more by visiting our website, urologycovid.ucsf.edu.